Good morning. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders for our church. And the, uh, the other elders and I, uh, earlier this year, we set a goal for 2019 to refresh our church vision and our culture of care. So one thing that we'd like to do throughout the year is dedicate some time to reminding you of our vision, our church vision. We want to help to refresh you in why we do what we do as a church. Now, as a church, I think we spend more time together in preaching and in listening to preaching than in just about any other activity. Why do we do that? And why does Grace Fellowship Church exercise its preaching ministry the way it does? And what can you do to benefit from and improve our preaching ministry? This week, we're taking a break from our series in Isaiah to answer these questions. To organize my presentation, I will use the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, which if you have a church Bible, it's on page 578. And this book is all about preaching. For some of you, what I have to say this morning may serve as an introduction to what you can expect from the preaching at our church. For others, this this week may help you to put the pieces together of what you've observed so far. And maybe you've been puzzled about a few things. And for yet others of you, I'll simply remind you of what you already know and hopefully love about our church. But after I explain our vision for preaching from the book of 2 Timothy, I will end with some specific applications for how you can make a contribution to our church's preaching ministry. So that's where I'm heading this morning. Let me pray again for our time in God's word. Our Father in heaven, please help us now. Grant us ears to hear your word, to love Christ, and to be moved to serve him. Please Lord, be patient with us, grant us repentance unto life, help us to be your people, that we might preach your word even when the world around us calls us to to change course and to do something different. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I've organized our vision for preaching around eight points, which you can see in your outline, which follow the Apostle Paul's flow of thought in his letter of 2 Timothy. So I'm going to walk you through the whole letter of 2 Timothy here. First is our conviction. Our conviction is that preachers and preaching are a gift from God. Our conviction is that preachers and preaching are a gift from God. At least when they are biblical preachers doing biblical preaching. After his greeting to Timothy at the beginning of this letter, Paul spends a few verses thanking God for Timothy as he remembers a number of things about him. And that moves Paul into the thesis of his letter in verse 6 of chapter 1. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, we find out later in the letter that Paul's 
uh, expecting to be imminently executed by the Roman authorities. And his last act that we know about was to write this letter to his protege, Timothy, a, a pastor of the church in the city of Ephesus. And the reason for the letter here in verse 6 is that Paul wants to make sure that Timothy will keep on keeping on. He wants to make sure that Timothy won't burn out, but continue in what God has called him to do. Paul wants him to fan into flame the gift that God gave him. Now, Paul doesn't explain that gift here. He doesn't need to because he already talked about it in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, Paul commands Timothy not to neglect the gift that he has, that he received by the laying on of hands. And he says that that gift is to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy's gift is his teaching ministry. Now, Paul also had previously written the Ephesian church where Timothy is currently ministering. And in chapter 4 of his letter to the Ephesians, he said that Jesus gave gifts to his church. And he says those gifts are the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers who equip God's special people for the work of ministry. So, the background to get here to this verse, verse 6, is that Timothy's gift is his preaching and Timothy the preacher is God's gift to the Ephesian church. Preachers and preaching are gifts from God. Why? That's our conviction. But why are they gifts from God? Number two, our calling. Preachers and preaching are gifts from God because the calling of the preacher is to serve you. The calling of the preacher is to serve you. I already read verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, but let me now go back to the previous verse. In verse 5, Paul praises Timothy for his sincere faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which dwelt in your grandmother and your mother before you and I'm sure dwells in you as well. He's telling Timothy that, that, Timothy, you've got the real deal. You're the right man for this job. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And we know Timothy is the right man for the job because of his sincere faith, because back again in his first letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he had said, the aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the aim that Timothy has in his ministry is to communicate love that issues from sincere faith. And now in the second letter, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. The point is that Timothy's calling is to take his own sincere faith and impart it to others so that they can be people who love God and one another from a pure heart. He's working toward love. So the point is that our preaching ministry is here to serve you. Our preaching ministry is here to impart to you a sincere faith, to help you grow as followers of Jesus who love God and who love 
one another. Our preachers are not here for themselves. They're not here for the glory of it. And they're not here for their own walk with God. Preaching's not a private matter between the preacher and God. Preachers are here to serve you. Therefore, we have developed a system to train preachers and to give them frequent feedback so they can improve at their craft so we can serve you better and better and better to impart to you a sincere faith. But what do we train our preachers to do? What do we train them to do? What is the content of our preaching? This is point number three, our content. Above all else, we believe our preachers are gifts from God to serve you by testifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our content of our preaching is the testimony about Jesus Christ. This is where Paul goes in the next few verses of chapter 1, verse 8 of 2 Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That's what he's preaching about. Nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then Paul explains, he defines that gospel or the the good news in verses 9 and 10. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In this letter of 2 Timothy, Paul wants Timothy to testify to Jesus Christ. And as he does this, Timothy will suffer. And so in verse 8, Paul wants to motivate Timothy to endure such suffering. And so he constantly takes Timothy back to the testimony about Jesus. And as you read through 2 Timothy, all through the letter... Paul's reminding him of Jesus, and when he reminds him of Jesus, he focuses on two things about Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and the reign of Jesus. These are the things that will motivate Timothy through his suffering. But those two things are not the sum total of the good news about Jesus. So as we preach other parts of the Bible as well, the good news will take a different shape to fit the audience. Sometimes we'll talk about Jesus' resurrection and reign because that's what he talks about in 2 Timothy. But in other books, we'll talk about his death on the cross or his perfect obedience in our place. And over time, through our sermons on the entire Bible, we want to testify to the full message about Jesus, which at any point could include Jesus' eternal divine sonship, his becoming human, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his present reign, his second coming, his final judgment, and his eternal kingdom. All of those things can appropriately be called the gospel, the good news, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whether we're preaching from the New Testament or the Old Testament. All of the Bible is testifying to this grand message about Jesus. So from week to week, in our sermons, you won't hear just one aspect of Jesus' work hammered on. We try to follow the contours of the text before us to highlight whichever part of that grand story the biblical author has in mind. 
And so over time, you, we will hear the full story about Jesus. That is our content. Number four, let me talk about our company. Our company is our plurality of preachers. Our company is our plurality of preachers. Just as a theater production has a company of performers who make up the show, so we also have a company of preachers who fill this pulpit. As a church, we are committed not to have only one main preacher whose personality, gifts, strengths, and weaknesses carry the ministry. This is one way that we seek to apply Paul's instructions to Timothy as we move into chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, Paul never wanted Timothy to be a one-man show. He was to take what he had learned and entrust it to others so that they could teach others along with him. Now, we don't think it's wrong or sinful for a church to have one main preacher. There are lots of churches that take that approach. And they seek to apply this in slightly different ways. But we've just chosen to avoid the dangers of having the preaching ministry be carried by a single man's personality, skills, and giftings. Now, of course, there are also dangers to having a company of preachers. One such danger is that we could drift toward factionalism, where divisions form when members of the congregation rally around their favorite preacher. And we must guard against this. We must. We don't have a company of preachers so that we can develop factions behind our favorites. No, we have a company of preachers so we can win more people. Because in the next few verses of chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, Paul gives Timothy three metaphors for his preaching ministry, a farmer and a soldier and an athlete. And then he asks Timothy in verse 7 to think about these metaphors further. And I believe what Paul is doing is connecting into three metaphors that he used regularly in his ministry that Timothy would have heard him do. We see all three of these metaphors at work in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul makes the point that he works harder than anybody, like an athlete, like a farmer, like a soldier, so that by any means he might win more people to Christ. That's the point of entrusting this to others and sharing this ministry with faithful men who can teach others also. The purpose of a company of preachers is that we might win more people to Christ. Different men in the pulpit are able to connect more personally with different members of our congregation. And we see that as an asset, not as a liability. So you don't have to feel guilty if you feel more served by one preacher's style over another. That's okay, there's nothing wrong with that, as long as we don't drift toward factions, because I can guarantee you that there will be someone else who feels more served in the opposite direction by the different styles that we have here. The bottom line is that we are committed to training preachers and raising up more preachers from among our congregation so that our ministry of the word will not be dependent on one man's personality, giftings, or availability. 
Now, we fully understand and are willing to pay the cost of this approach. Because when some men are just being trained, their sermons won't be very good. In particular, I want to apologize. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call anybody out. It just happens as they're learning. But we think it's worth it to gain the benefit of acquiring over time a deep bench of skilled teachers who can handle the word accurately. But that takes time to build that company. And on behalf of the elders, I can assure you that even if we do someday have a full-time paid pastor at our church who can preach, he will not be exempt from this philosophy. We will include him in the preaching rotation just like the other preachers, and he will receive the same training and feedback that the others receive. Now, as we pursue this ministry of preaching this content with this company of preachers, what ought we to expect? Number five, our certainty. What can we be certain to expect? As we do these things, we can be certain that controversy will arise. Controversy will arise. The largest section of 2 Timothy from chapter 2, verse 14, all the way through to the end of chapter 3, which is verse 17, this large section of the letter addresses the controversy facing Timothy. Paul wants Timothy not to be surprised by it, and he wants Timothy to be equipped to endure it. And so we ought to be equipped and not surprised as well by the controversy that arises when preachers proclaim the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 14, Paul wants Timothy to remind his fellow teachers not to quarrel about words because teachers will be tempted to quarrel when people disagree with them or attack them. And in verses 17 and 18, Paul names two specific critics of Timothy who are teaching people false doctrine and challenging Timothy's authority. Timothy and his descendants in our pulpit today must understand two things. First, that character matters. Character matters. In verse 24, he says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. We must understand that character matters. And second, we must understand that preaching is not about quarreling or babbling, but it's about patiently correcting people from the scripture. He says in 25 and 26, this, the Lord's servant must be correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now let me quickly hit on just a few more points of Paul's dense argument in this section of the letter. Verse 15 of chapter 2, a pretty famous verse, he says that that preachers are to present themselves to God as those who are approved. uh, Workmen who are unashamed have no need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. I don't think in the flow of Paul's thought, in his argument, in the context, I don't think he's saying that the, 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 the teachers are, need to try to get God's approval by handling the word rightly. I think what he's saying is that they present themselves, they demonstrate the fact 
that they have already been approved by God for the task of preaching because they handle the word rightly. And that's in contrast to the false teachers bringing up the controversy who have not been approved by God. The approved teachers demonstrate God's approval by handling the word of truth rightly. In chapter 3, verse 5, he, he highlights the fact that approved teachers must have more than an appearance of godliness. They must bring the power of the gospel to change people's lives toward greater godliness. Verse 19 of chapter 2 is a pretty important one because there he, he quotes, he paraphrases a few verses from Numbers chapter 16 to suggest that God will defend his approved teachers. Number 16, it's about a rebellion against Moses' authority and they're wondering, who should we follow, Moses or these other guys? And God calls the people to line up behind Moses and to depart from the tents of wickedness before the earth swallow, opens up and swallows them up. And he's making the point that God will defend his approved teachers. They do not typically need to defend themselves. But what they must do is endure in preaching the word and the testimony about Jesus. And their commitment to the scripture will be plain to all, just as in chapter 9 of verse 3, the folly of their detractors will be made plain to all. Therefore, and here's the point for the members of the congregation, you will recognize God's approved workers by their commitment to the scripture and by their gentleness in proclaiming it. When the preaching at Grace Fellowship Church is challenged and we face controversy, make sure you line up behind the approved teachers and depart from the workers of iniquity. In short, our certainty is that controversy will arise, but there are God-given tests you can use to stabilize yourself when you feel most unstable in a controversy. And those who endure through the controversy in this ministry, they will succeed. Let me move on to number six, our champions through the controversy. Our champions will be those who continue teaching all of scripture. Our champions will be those who continue teaching all of scripture. They don't shy away from preaching when they're attacked for it. They don't avoid certain parts of the Bible. They continue preaching even when it's not considered cool or tolerant or it's not considered academically respectable anymore. Look at what he says in chapter 3, moving on into this, verses 12 to 17. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Note the assurance 
he gives to Timothy as he faces controversy, as he faces uh, persecution from deception. He says, all scripture has been breathed out by God. And he says, all scripture is profitable for teaching and training. In verse 14, he says that continuing in the God-breathed scripture is the antidote to the rapidly mutating deception of the enemy, verse 13. This is why at our church we preach primarily books of the Bible. We occasionally take breaks to preach topics or themes. There's nothing wrong with preaching topics or themes such as I am doing right now. But we consider topics and themes to be occasional. And even when we teach a topic or theme, we must do so by properly using the scripture in context according to the author's intended argument, which is why I'm preaching you a topic by walking through a book of the Bible and following its argument. The main diet we believe that we are called to serve up is the God-breathed scripture of the Old and New Testaments. Continuing in this word will both impart the knowledge of salvation and equip you for every good work in the face of the world's ever-present deception. And so the goal of every preacher at this church is simply to understand the main point and the outline of his assigned text and to make that the main point and the outline of his sermon. We don't want to be clever or profound. We just want to explain the text's meaning as clearly and as practically as possible. Now, we typically alternate between an Old Testament book and a New Testament book. And when Paul wrote to Timothy, there probably wasn't, there weren't very many New Testament books at all yet. He's talking mostly about the Old Testament. But we alternate. We have more revelation since then. And we, we also purposefully mix up the genres. We want to give you different kinds of literature. Before we studied Isaiah, we did four letters of Paul's. Before that, we did Exodus, an Old Testament historical narrative with some law. Before that, we did Mark, a biography of Jesus. After we finish Isaiah, it's looking like we're probably going to preach through Luke. And then we might possibly do Acts as well to see uh, the the two-part defense written by Luke, defense of God's salvation through Christ Jesus for the whole world. That's where I think we're going next. Now we alternate like this so we can give you the full breadth of God's message for you. And because of our community, many people are, are often with us only four or five years. And in that time, we want to give you a strong sampling of the God-breathed scripture so that you can see God's salvation and be equipped to serve Christ from every page. Now I know that Isaiah seems like a long and an ancient book for many of you. Please trust God when he says that even Isaiah 2, Isaiah 16, and Isaiah 51 are profitable for you. All of these texts were written to train you in righteousness and to equip you for every good work. Now, closing in on the end of 2 Timothy, we see number 7, our charge. Our charge is to keep 
preaching the Bible. Our charge is to keep preaching the Bible. We hit chapter 4, and Paul shouts from the mountaintop, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Friends, our charge is to keep preaching the Bible. Even when people would prefer a different kind of teaching. We don't serve you by giving you whatever you want to hear. We serve you by delivering a solid diet of God's words, simply explained, penetrating the deception all around us. And how can we keep doing this, especially when we suffer for it? That's number eight, where we end, our confidence. Our confidence is first that the Lord stands by his word and by those who proclaim it. The Lord stands by his word and by those who proclaim it. The end of the letter, chapter 4, verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. You see, the Lord stood by Paul, not so he could get off the charges, because he didn't, but he stood by him so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Our confidence is that the Lord stands by his word and by those who proclaim it. And second, our confidence is that God's grace will be with us to the end. Verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 22, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And strikingly, the two yous in that verse are different. The first you, your spirit, is singular. He's talking to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. And the second you is plural. Grace be with y'all. He knows that this, this letter's to Timothy, but it's actually for everybody to hear what Paul's saying to Timothy. It is God's good favor, which we do not deserve, which sustains our preachers to keep preaching week in and week out. And it is God's grace, which we do not deserve, which sustains our people to hear God's word week in and week out. None of us deserves to stand up here. Our, our preachers are but unworthy servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't do this for the glory of it. We do it so all the nations might hear the message fully proclaimed. And we are fully confident that it is worth it for us as a church to continue doing this. Now in my remaining time, how does this apply? 
all of this, not only to the preachers, but to those who hear the preaching each week. First, I have one application for those of you who are not yet Christians, which is that you do not have to agree with what the Bible says in order to attend and be welcome here. You don't have to agree with what the Bible says, but we do ask that you be honest about what the Bible says. That is the goal of our sermons, to clearly present the argument and the message of the text. So when we meet in small groups after the sermon, we want to further discuss the text and its implications. And if you don't know Christ, if you're not following him, we invite you to join us in considering these things. You're welcome. And if you ever think we're not being honest with the text, you are invited to speak up about it. Next, I have six applications, which will be on the screen for everyone. Number one, please pray for your preachers because they will suffer for what they preach and they will have shame as an ever-present temptation. Please pray for your preachers. Number two, when we suffer and face controversy, get behind the approved workmen. You will be tempted to be ashamed of your leaders when they're under assault. We might be attacked by those in our community. Some of us may at some point be thrown in prison for what we preach. And you will be tempted to be ashamed of it. But get behind the approved workmen. Paul calls you to figure out which teachers you should listen to, which ones have been approved by God for this role. And they are the ones who rightly handle the word of truth and who have godly character to correct people with gentleness. Stick with those guys. And if I or another preacher ever drips from these things, please don't stick with us, but urge us to return to the Lord's word. Number three, learn for yourself how to handle the word rightly you won't be able to identify the approved teachers as those who handle the word rightly unless you yourself know what it looks like to handle the scripture rightly. And whenever you think a preacher could do a better job at his craft, we invite you to speak to him about it. And if for some reason that doesn't work, or it's too scary or something, then please speak to me as the preaching team leader. We want to help our preachers to keep improving. And we want to stay on point with the scripture. Please help our preachers to improve. As you do so, you help our congregation to dig further into the word. Application number four. Trust that all scripture is profitable for you. Friends, I acknowledge that Isaiah is a long book. And we are doing our best as preachers to nail the unique main point of every chapter so that every sermon doesn't sound the same. But Isaiah still repeats himself a lot and therefore so will we. Please trust the Lord that this is to your profit to train you in righteousness. We'll get back to the New Testament after Isaiah, but I'll warn you, maybe not the next time 
we go to the Old Testament, but someday we will preach Leviticus. Okay? And even in doing this, our aim will be to serve you by testifying to Jesus and equipping you for every good work. Application number five. Prepare yourself for sound teaching. Please don't drift into the kind of church that demands its preachers to preach what the people want to hear. Don't surround yourself with teachers to suit your passions, like he said in chapter 4. Instead, prepare yourself to receive sound teaching. Please consider at least reading over and perhaps studying each week's sermon text before you come to church. It's just an idea. And to make it easier for you to do this, we've included a new box on the top of the sermon outline each week that tells you what the next week's passage will be. So you can at least read it ahead to start thinking about it. Over the course of my career as a preacher, some of my most favorite interactions regarding my sermons have been right here with Marguerite Chokas after church. Because she often reads over the text and thinks about it beforehand, and many weeks she has some really encouraging insights to share with me after the sermon. Application number six. Consider how you can develop as a preacher of the word. Consider how you can develop as a preacher of the word. Everyone who follows Jesus must Preach his word in some form or other. Some of you will do it in Sunday school classes. Others will do it in your families, in your friendships, in your neighborhoods, and in your workplaces. And we want to equip you for these works of service so you too will be approved by God as one who handles the word rightly. And some of you men may also be called to join our company of preachers. We need to entrust this ministry to more faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Please let me know if that possibility interests you. We can talk about what next steps you can take to develop your character, your skills, and your family life to move further along that path toward joining our company. Not everyone will. And that's okay. We have different parts of the body. But for those for whom it interests, I would love to talk to you more. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everything we do, we seek to proclaim the testimony about him. Thank you for granting us these gifts of preaching and preachers who can serve us by testifying to Jesus. Help us to stay that course and to be faithful both as preachers and as listeners. May we honor you in all we do and grow up into godliness as a church so that all the nations might fully hear the message that's proclaimed in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.